Blog Talk Radio. All right, sports fans, how's everybody out there doing? William Martin coming at you here one more time on blogtalkradio.com with another edition of the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. As always, I want to take this time out to thank all of you fine folks out there for tuning in this evening. And as always, the guest call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. And on this wonderful evening of September the 24th, 2017, I can gladly once again tell the world that Miss Runner's baby boy is back on the air. Now, there was plenty of action going on around the National Football League today as we had some very exciting and rather surprising outcomes uh, this afternoon. And one of the most frantic finishes uh, for the afternoon was in the city of brotherly love where the Philadelphia Eagles clashed with the New York Giants. And typically when these two teams meet, there really isn't any brotherly love to speak of because of this deep rivalry that is in the NFC East. Now, it was scoreless for the majority of the first half, but midway through the second quarter, the Eagles put together a long 18-play, 90-yard drive, which ate up more than nine minutes of game clock, and it was capped off when LeGarrette Blunt punched it in from one yard out to give Philadelphia the 7 to nothing advantage. Now, there was a turning point late in the first half. New York had the football inside the Eagles' five-yard line, and it appeared that Eli Manning had connected with Sterling Shepard on the game-tying touchdown. The officials went to the booth, and they marked Shepard down just outside. When I say just outside, he was mere inches away from the goal line. The Giants then had third and goal from inside of the one. Eli Manning tried to fade the Shepard. He caught the football, but once he went to the ground, he dropped the ball, and thus it was incomplete because he did not complete the process of the catch. The Giants then decided to go for it on fourth down, and Orleans Darkwa was stymied by the Eagles' defense, and the Giants came away with what looked like should have been a surefire touchdown, and instead they were shut out, and they went to the locker room down 7 to nothing. Now, midway through the third quarter, Philadelphia was able to extend their lead when quarterback Carson Wentz found tight end Zach Ertz from three yards out to give Philly the 14 to nothing advantage. Finally, in the fourth quarter, the Giants' dormant offense woke up. Early in the fourth, Eli Manning connected with wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. from 10 yards out to put the Giants on the board as they were now down 14-7. After a Philadelphia turnover, New York got the football back, and Manning connected with Beckham again, this time from four yards out, to not to score at 14 apiece. The Giants would immediately capitalize again as Manning found Sterling Shepard on a 77-yard scamper to give New York their first lead of the day at 21-14. to However, Philadelphia would come right back, and it only took them four plays as they marched 75 yards for the game-tying score, 
when Corey Clement punched it in from 15 yards out. Now, the Giants got the ball back. They were driving, and they actually had an opportunity to put this game on ice, which they were unable to do. It was a third and short situation, and the Giants were called for delay of game because guard John Jerry would not release the Philadelphia Eagles defensive lineman from getting off of the field in order to try to get a 12-man uh, on the field penalty for Philadelphia. And subsequently, the Giants did get the first down, but it was pushed back. And then on their next opportunity to convert the first down, Manning missed his pass to Odell Beckham. And that was big because the Giants would have had an opportunity to run more game clock off. And unfortunately, they didn't. And with that said, they had to settle for an Aldrich Rosas field goal from 41 yards out to give them the 24-21 to lead. However, the Giants' defense was unable to hold that as Philly marched down the field in eight plays and put Jake Elliott in position to tie the game as he connected on a 46-yard field goal with 51 seconds remaining. The Giants were stymied when they got the ball in Philadelphia. It looked like, for all intents and purposes, this game was going to go to overtime, tied at 24 apiece. But Carson Wentz connected on a pass with one second left to Alshon Jeffrey. And Eagles head coach Doug Peterson decided to roll the dice and let Elliott come out on the field and attempt a 61-yard field goal and Elliott was true, and the Eagles went on to win this contest today by the score of 27-24. to 24. Now, New York's offense did wake up as they uh, were able to get 415 yards of total offense today, but they did it in quick spurts. Why? Because the Giants only possessed the football today for 22 minutes and 28 seconds. New York struggled on third down as they were 3 of 10 on third down. While they're going to look back at the penalties as the Giants were penalized today 10 times for 137 yards. Now you look inside of the individual numbers, Eli Manning was 35 of 47 passing for 366 yards with three TDs and two picks. And this much maligned Giants offensive line did not allow him to get sacked today. Why? because Manning concentrated more on getting the football out quick and not giving his opponent the opportunity to really rush the passer. The Giants still struggle to run the football, but you look at how they stepped it up in the past game. Sterling Shepard had seven receptions for a buck 33. Odell Beckham had nine receptions for 79 yards and the two TDs. Brandon Marshall had eight receptions for 66 yards, while Evan Ingram, the rookie tight end out of Ole Miss, had five receptions for 45 yards. Carson Wentz was 21 of 31 passing for a buck 76 with a TD. No interceptions. He was sacked three times by this Giants defense. But Philly had balance today as they had 193 yards rushing. 71 of those came from Wendell Smallwood, while Garrett Blunt chipped in with 67 of his own. And you look at the Giants. They played much better. They answered the bell after a lot of people were ready to write them off following their Monday night loss at home and week number two to the Detroit Lions. But this is a game you have to win if you're the Giants. I, the sense of urgency was there. There was more intensity from this team. But the bottom line is if you were the Giants, you had several opportunities to put this game away, and you didn't. And then on top of that, late in the second quarter, you've got a goal-to-goal situation inside of the one-yard line. You have to find a way to punch it in. No excuses. And it's not a situation if you're the Giants when you get down there, okay, let's just go for three points and call it a day. No, you got to go there and get six. And you see how that situation really hurt this Giants team coming down the stretch. They left points on the board at the end of the first half, and opportunities like that typically 
don't come around that often, especially when you have an offense that has struggled like theirs has in the first few weeks of the season. Now, on the flip side for the Philadelphia Eagles, they simply found a way to go out there and win this game. Carson Wentz was not at his best as his Giants defense did give him problems throughout the afternoon. But if you're Philly, you're two and one, but more importantly, you're two and oh in the division. And that is the biggest thing for this squad going forward. Now you look to week number four for both of these clubs and the Philadelphia Eagles will be on the road to take on the Los Angeles Chargers while the Giants will be on the road and they're still trying to get themselves a victory this time as they will take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now in Motown, and I'm talking about Detroit City, USA, it was a battle of undefeated as you had the 2-0 Atlanta Falcons taking on the 2-0 Detroit Lions. And Atlanta got the scoring going midway through the first quarter when quarterback Matt Ryan connected with wide receiver Mohamed Sanu from four yards out. And this capped off a 12-play, 75-yard drive to give the ATL the 7 to nothing advantage. Now, it was 10-3 in favor of the Falcons midway through the second quarter when running back Devonta Freeman punched it in from a yard out to give Atlanta the 17-13 to advantage. It was 17-6, to rather, in favor of Atlanta late in the first half when Ryan was picked off by Glover Quinn, who returned it 37 yards for the touchdown to make it 17-13. to It was 23-13 to in favor of Atlanta midway through the third quarter when Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford connected with wide receiver Golden Tate from 11 yards out to make it 23-20. to Now, Detroit was able to tie it up going to the fourth quarter, but early on in the fourth period, Matt Ryan connected with Taylor Gabriel from 40 yards out to give the Falcons the 30-23 to lead. Now, it was 30-26 to late in this contest, and the Lions were driving, and it appeared in the waning seconds of this contest that they actually did have the game-winning touchdown. But upon review, it was shown that Tate was tackled just shy of the goal line, and there were eight seconds left on the clock. And since the Lions did not have any more timeouts left, the referees ruled that there should be a 10-second runoff, and because of that, the game was over, and Atlanta escaped today in Motown with the 32-26 victory. This was a hard-fought game. These two teams were going back and forth. They scrapped and clawed, and more importantly, they left it all out there on the gridiron this afternoon. And you look inside of the numbers, Matt Ryan did not have his best game as he was 24 of 35 passing for 294 yards with two TDs and three picks, while Matt Stafford on the other side for the Lions was 25 of 45 passing for 264 yards with a TD, no interceptions, and he was sacked twice. You look at the big-time players, and they step up and make big plays, and that was the case today for the Falcons, as Devonta Freeman had 21 carries for a buck 06, while Julio Jones had seven receptions for 91 yards. And you look inside of this contest, and the Atlanta Falcons, they're simply finding ways to win the tight games. We saw it in week number one against the Bears. We saw it again today against the Lions. And this was a team you knew and you know that it's still going to hang over uh, this team regardless of what they say as far as what happened in the Super Bowl this past February against the New England Patriots. Now, Atlanta, they are showing a lot of moxie and they are showing the ability to be mentally tough right now because after everything that happened, you still have a lot of guys 
on who are on that team that are still playing for the Falcons. And it would have been very easy for this club to basically simply sit up there and mail it in. That has not been the case as Atlanta has come out there every Sunday and they've given it all that they've had. And more importantly, they're finding ways to win ball games. That is the biggest thing for them. And for the Lions, you know, it was a tough, you know, it was a tough one. There's no, there's no way to get around it. But, you know, certain things like this happen to certain franchises, and unfortunately for the Detroit Lions, this is them. I mean, they're so close yet so far, and I mean, it looked like at first that Golden Tate had enough momentum to get into the end zone, but then once you saw the replay, you clearly saw that he was down just prior to the goal line, and unfortunately, since the Lions did not have a timeout left and that 10-second runoff occurred, that was all she wrote. But looking ahead to week number four for both of these clubs, you are going to have the Lions on the road taking on their NFC North brethren and the Minnesota Vikings, while for the Atlanta Falcons, they will be at home to take on the Buffalo Bills. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626 231 09. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, in Foxborough, you had the 1-1 one one New England Patriots taking on the 1-1 one one Houston Texans. New England came into this contest favored by two touchdowns. Why? Because, number one, they are the defending Super Bowl champions. Number two, they looked fierce last week in going on the road and defeating the New Orleans Saints. Number three, Bill Belichick makes life tough for rookie quarterbacks that are that are facing him. So with that said, it appeared that it was going to be a tough day for Texans rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson. Now, New England put the Texans in chase mode early. Why? Because on their opening drive, they put together a quick seven-play 51-yard drive, which is capped off when quarterback Tom Brady found tight end Rob Gronkowski from five yards out to make it seven to nothing. Now it was seven to three later in the first quarter when Deshaun Watson found running back Bruce Ellington from 29 yards out to give the Texans the 10 to seven lead. But New England would come by right back. And early in the second quarter, Brady would connect with Chris Hogan from seven yards out to make it 14 to 10. Now it was 14 to 13 in favor of the Patriots midway through the second when Tom Brady fumbled and it was recovered by Texans defensive end Jadavian Clowney, who returned it 22 yards for the touchdown to give Houston the 20-14 to lead. Now, later on in the second quarter, New England would respond as Brady found Hogan again, this time from 47 yards out to give the Pats the 21-20 to lead at the half. New England would get the opening kickoff to begin the second half, and they would expand their lead as Brady found his newest wide receiver in Brandon Cooks from 42 yards out to give the Pats the 28-20 to lead. Now, Houston would come back and respond as they put together a 10-play 70-yard drive, which is capped off when Watson found Ryan Griffin from 12 yards out to make it 28-27. to And then a pair of field goals in the fourth quarter by Kaimi Fairbairn, Fairbairn, excuse me, Fairburn, excuse me, 
uh, gave Houston the 33-28 to lead. Now, the second field goal came with just under two and a half minutes left in regulation. And like Bill O'Brien, the Texans head coach, would say after the game, we simply left Tom Brady to, with too much time. Brady would find himself in a couple of second and third and long situations late in this contest, but he found a way to rally the troops. And with 23 seconds left, Brady found Cooks in the corner of the end zone from 25 yards out to make it 24 to 23. Brady would succeed on the two-point conversion. He found Cooks again, 36 to 33. Houston would get the football back for one last shot at winning this game or forcing overtime. And Deshaun Watson's Hail Mary at the buzzer was no good. Thus, New England would escape this afternoon with the 36-33 to victory. Now you look inside of the numbers, and Deshaun Watson was 22 of 33 passing for 301 yards or two TDs and two interceptions while he was sacked twice. On the flip side, Tom Brady was 25 of 35 passing for 378 yards with five TDs. More importantly, no interceptions, and he did this in the face of a very tough Texans defense that bared down and sacked him five times this afternoon with Mr. Jadavian Clowney having his fairway with uh, Tom Brady. Of course, we talked about that fumble intercept uh, return as well as two sacks. But you look at this Patriots uh, receiving core, and Brandon Cook stepped up big time today as he had five receptions for a buck 31 with two TDs. Rob Gronkowski had a typical Rob Gronkowski-type day as he had eight receptions for 89 yards with a TD. And a big afternoon from Chris Hogan. He only had four receptions, but and they went for 68 yards. But, of course, those two touchdown grabs – turned out to be vital as New England would get the victory this afternoon. And I'll tell you like this. For the Patriots so far, it hasn't been pretty. But pretty does not matter in the National Football League. And like I always say, as long as you get your hand raised at the end of the game, that's all that matters. And for New England, they were able to go out there and do that this afternoon. They're still figuring out things. It's still early in the season, and they're still figuring things out. But offensively, I think it was important for New England to finally really begin to incorporate Brandon Cooks into the offense more. This is a guy that was acquired for a first-round pick from the New Orleans Saints in the offseason. And more importantly, since the injury to one Julian Edelman, which has put him out for the year, If you're the Patriots, you need a guy like Cooks now more than ever to kind of take some of that pressure off of Rob Gronkowski, who's always going to face double and triple teams. So to have Cooks go out there and have a big-time impact like he did today was big for the Patriots. They're still figuring it out defensively. There's still a lot of work to be done. But for New England, as long as you have number 12 on the center for you, you always have an opportunity to go out there and make something happen. On the flip side for the Houston Texans, this was a very tough loss because they were right there with a rookie quarterback and Deshaun Watson. And I think in a very short time, Deshaun Watson is showing that he can be a franchise quarterback for the Texans. So if you're Bill O'Brien, even the defeat right here, you have to know that you have a building block to work with and the youngster in Deshaun Watson. Now you look ahead to week number four, 
for both of these teams. And New England will be at home again this time when they host the Carolina Panthers, while for the Houston Texans, they will be at home to take on the Tennessee Titans. Now you had the Cincinnati Bengals who came into play today with a record of 0-2. And in the Bengals' first two contests, they were only able to score nine points. They were shut out at home in their opener against the Baltimore Ravens, and then they only managed three field goals in their week two loss at home to the Houston Texans. Subsequently, Ken Zampezi was fired as the Bengals' offensive coordinator, and Bill Lazor, the quarterback's coach, was now going to be handling the play calling. And for Cincinnati, they they needed to find a way to get on track, and it was not going to be easy when they traveled to Lambeau Field today to face the Green Bay Packers. But Cincinnati came out and made a statement. As they took the opening kickoff and they marched down the field on a 10-play, 79-yard drive, which is capped off when quarterback Andy Dalton connected with his BFF and wide receiver A.J. Green from 10 yards out to give the Bengals not only the lead, but also their first offensive touchdown of the year. Now, Green Bay would immediately respond as quarterback Aaron Rodgers connected with Lance Kendricks from a yard out to knock the score at seven apiece. Now, early in the second quarter, Dalton would find running back Giovanni Bernard from six yards out to give Cincinnati the 14-7 lead. And right after that, Aaron Rodgers threw a pick six. First time in a month of Sundays that this happened, but he was intercepted by Bengals rookie cornerback William Jackson III, who returned it 75 yards for the touchdown to give Cincinnati the 21-7 lead. Now, early on in the third quarter, Green Bay would begin to chip away at that Bengals lead as Aaron Rodgers would find Jordy Nelson from a yard out to make it 21-14, to and this capped off an eight-play, 75-yard drive to begin the second half. It was 21-17 to in favor of Cincinnati late in the fourth quarter, and they had an opportunity to put this game on ice. And on a third and short situation, Dalton was set to hand off to rookie running back Joe Mixon, who slipped. Dalton had to eat the play, and subsequently the Bengals had to settle for a Randy Bullock 46-yard field goal to extend their lead to 24-17. to But just like it was with the Texans and going up against the Patriots and Tom Brady, Cincinnati left too much time on the clock for Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers began to slice and dice their defense. And with just 17 seconds left in regulation, Rodgers scampered and found wide receiver Jordy Nelson in the corner of the end zone from three yards out to make it 24-23. to And, of course, Mason Crosby would connect on the extra point. This game would go to overtime. Cincinnati would win the coin toss, but after a three and out, they had to punt. And just before you knew it, Rodgers connected with a deep ball and just to set up the game-winning field goal by Mason Crosby from 27 yards out. And Green Bay would go on to win this afternoon by the score of 27 to 24. And you look inside of the numbers of this contest, Cincinnati was still bad on third down as they were only 4 of 12 compared to 7 of 15 for Green Bay. And you look inside of the individual numbers, Andy Dalton had his best game of the season, hands down. He was 21 of 27 passing for 212 yards or two TDs. He was sacked three times, but the most important thing, Dalton did not throw any interceptions. Now, Rodgers did throw the one pick, and he was sacked six times by this Bengals defense. Two and a half of those came from Carl Lawson. 
But Rodgers was 28 of 42 passing for 313 yards or three TDs. And, of course, we talked about that pick. But Aaron Rodgers in in a clutch situation is simply money. Now, A.J. Green had a big game as he had 10 receptions for 111 yards with a TD, while Geronimo Allison had six receptions for 122 yards for Green Bay. And this is a tale of two different franchises heading in two different directions. And the reason why I say it is this. You look at at Cincinnati. These are the type of games that they find a way to lose. And if you're Green Bay, these are the type of way, games rather, that they find a way to win. And for the Bengals, they were game. They really hung in there. When you have a team like Green Bay who is led by a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, when you have the opportunity to put them away, you got to do it. And Cincinnati had several opportunities in the second half and especially in the fourth quarter to do that today, and unfortunately they couldn't do it. And whenever you give Aaron Rodgers a second, third, or even fourth opportunity, he's going to figure it out. And once he figures it out and once he gets into that rhythm, it's game on, as the Bengals found out the hard way this afternoon. Now, you look ahead to week number four for both of these clubs. Cincinnati will be on the road to take on the Cleveland Browns, while it will be a short week for the Green Bay Packers as they will be at home this Thursday night to host the Chicago Bears. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, in the Windy City, it was a one-and-one, pardon me, it was a winless Chicago Bears taking on the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. And this was a game where Pittsburgh was favored heavily, and we've seen in recent years that when Pittsburgh is favored heavily, it typically does not work out for them. And Pittsburgh found themselves in a trail position early on as Jordan Howard punched it in from three yards out to give Chicago the 7 to nothing lead. Now, midway through the second quarter, the Steelers' offense would begin to get it going as they put together a 13-play, 77-yard drive, which, was, which ate up more than seven minutes of game clock, and it was capped off when quarterback Ben Roethlisberger found wide receiver Antonio Brown from seven yards out to not the score at seven apiece. But the rest of the first half belonged to the Bears as they took a 17-7 lead into the dressing room at the half. Pittsburgh would finally decide to wake up in the third quarter as their defense got them back into the game and set them up with good field position as Le'Veon Bell punched it in from a yard out to make it 17-14. to Pittsburgh would finally be able to tie the game midway through the fourth with a Chris Boswell field goal from 32 yards out. But Pittsburgh, you know, they simply were unable to keep drives going this afternoon. This game would go to overtime. The Bears would get the football right away, and they would march down the field on a quick four-play, 75-yard drive, which is capped off by a 19-yard run from Jordan Howard. And the Bears would upset the Steelers this afternoon by the score of 23-17. Now you look inside of the numbers, and Ben Roethlisberger was 22 of 39, passing for 235 yards with a TD and no picks, while he was sacked three times. 
His counterpart in Mike Glennon was 15 of 22 passing for 101 yards with one TD and one interception. But the biggest thing for the Chicago Bears, they ran the football effectively this afternoon. Jordan Howard had 23 carries for a buck 38 with two TDs, while Tariq Cohen had 12 carries for 78 yards. And in doing that, the Bears are able to dictate things. They kept the Steelers' high-powered offense on the sidelines, and they went out there and tried to wear down the Steelers' defense, and they were successful as they got the 23-17 to victory at home today. And if you are the Steelers, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's the same old song. These are the games that you have to find a way to win. There's no excuses involved. You have to go out there and find a, find a way to win because these are this is a difference between Pittsburgh getting home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs and either having to go to New England for the AFC championship game or not even getting a first-round bye. And this is what it comes down to. And the reason why is you look at the Pittsburgh – I mean, the, the New Englands of the world – New England goes out there and takes care of their business against teams that they're supposed to take care of their business against. And when the season's over, they're 14 and 2 and 13 and 3. And then guess what? Everybody else in the AFC knows that in order for them to get to the Super Bowl, they got to go through Foxborough. Pittsburgh will get there with a record of 11 and 5 or 10 and 6. And by the time they get to the Patriots, they're gassed. Why? Because they made the road longer for themselves because they gave games away during the regular season. And we saw that again today. This was a game that Pittsburgh should have gone out there and been able to beat the brakes off of the Chicago Bears. But they got out physical at the line of scrimmage. Chicago's defensive line put pressure on Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers' offensive line. And Pittsburgh defensively never had an answer for Chicago's rushing attack. And with that said... They're on their ways back to uh, Western PA with a defeat. Now, if you're Chicago and you're John Fox and you have this young squad, this is a big feather in your cap as you're looking to try to find something to build off of to work with your with the young squad going forward. So I think this is huge for the Chicago Bears. Now you look ahead to week number four for both of these clubs. Chicago will be on the road this Thursday night to take on the Green Bay Packers while Pittsburgh will be on the road next Sunday afternoon to face the Baltimore Ravens. Now, in Nashville this afternoon, it was a 1-1 Tennessee Titans hosting the 1-1 Seattle Seahawks. And you had two teams that, you know, you look, you look at the Seahawks are still trying to figure it out this season, while you had the Titans who are really trying to go out there and establish themselves as a potential force in the AFC. Now, it was 6 to nothing in favor of Tennessee late in the first half when Seattle's offense finally got it going, and they put together a quick five-play 86-yard drive, which was capped off when quarterback Russell Wilson found wide receiver Doug Baldwin from four yards out to make it 7-6. to six. Now, it was 9-7 to seven in favor of Tennessee heading into the locker room. Seattle would get the ball to begin the, first, the second half, and they marched down the field on a nine-play 75-yard drive, which is capped off when Wilson found Chris Carson from 10 yards out to give Seattle their first lead of the game at 14-9. to However, Seattle's defense could not hold that lead 
as Tennessee easily marched down the field when Marcus Mariota connected with wide receiver Rashard Matthews, and Matthews did the rest with the run after the catch, and he scampered 55 yards for the touchdown to give Tennessee the 16-14 to 14 advantage. Mariota would then go on to connect with Jonu Smith from 24 yards out to extend the Titans' lead to 23-14. to 14. And just before the end of the third quarter, DeMarco Murray punched it in from 75 yards out to give the Titans the 30-14 to 14 lead heading to the fourth quarter. Now, Seattle would attempt the rally as early in the fourth quarter. Russell Wilson would find tight end Luke Wilson, no relation, from 27 yards out to make it 30-20. to 20. Seattle would go for the two-point conversion, and they were unsuccessful. Now, it was 33-20 to 20 in favor of Tennessee, and the Seahawks were able to put together a drive late in the contest as Wilson found Paul Richardson from eight yards out with just under two minutes left to make it 33-27. to 27. However, Seattle's defense could not come up with the key stops this afternoon as Tennessee was able to run out the clock and go on to win this contest today by the score of 33-27. to 27. And you look inside of this game, penalties killed Seattle. They were they had 11 accepted penalties for 98 yards and you know Richard Sherman was lucky that he didn't get thrown out of this game. He had one personal foul penalty, he had one unsportsmanlike conduct penalty and he was very he was really teetering on thin ice with the referees in this contest and and you, and you look at the lack of discipline that the Seahawks showed in this one and it was bad. Now, you look inside of the numbers for this contest individually and Russell Wilson was 29 of 49 passing for 373 yards with four touchdowns and no interceptions, while Marcus Mariota was an efficient 20 of 32 passing for 225 yards with two TDs and no picks. But it was all about the running game for Tennessee, and that's how they're going to win. DeMarco Murray had 14 carries for a buck 15. Of course, he had that big 75-yard run, while Derrick Henry had 13 carries for 54 yards, and Mariota chipped in with 27 yards of his own. Now, Doug Baldwin did have seven, 10 receptions rather for 105 yards and a TD before he had to leave this contest with a groin injury, while Jimmy Graham had seven receptions for 72 yards. But this Seahawks team, they, they start off slow, and this has been a, team, a theme for the Seahawks over the past few years. They start off slow. And I do expect at some point that Seattle's going to get it going, but they got to find a way to run the football. And that was a staple of Seattle when they got back to the Super Bowl in two consecutive years. They were able to run run the football effectively, and they're not able to do that anymore. And you look at the team on the other side, who they were facing today in the Titans. Tennessee knows how to do that, and they know how to do it effectively. And because of that, Tennessee could be a dangerous team in this AFC South race this year because of their focus and their dedication to running the football, and that's going to keep them around in a lot of ball games this year as long as they are keeping it close. Now, you look ahead to week number four for both of these clubs, and with Tennessee, they are going to be on the road next Sunday afternoon to take on the Houston Texans while Seattle will find themselves in week number two, pardon me, week number four, rather, 
at home to face the Indianapolis Colts. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, moving right along, in jolly old England today, you had the 2-0 Baltimore Ravens taking on the 1-1 Jacksonville Jaguars, and everybody worried about this game being a situation where it wasn't going to be a good illustration of American football, and most people expected the Jacksonville Jaguars to go across the pond and lay an egg. However, It was the Baltimore Ravens that did that as they were, like, thumped in this contest today at the hands of the Jacksonville Jaguars by the score of 44-7. And the Ravens' lone touchdown in this one came in the waning stages when backup quarterback Ryan Mallett found tight end Benjamin Watson from seven yards out. But Baltimore just went over there and got the break speed off of them as they were limited to just 186 yards of total offense while they gave up 410 to Jacksonville. Baltimore committed three turnovers. They possessed the football for just a shade under 26 minutes. And then you look inside of the numbers in this one and Jacksonville had a lot of balance as they had 166 yards on the ground. Blake Bortles was an efficient 20 of 31 passing for 244 yards with four TDs and no picks and no sacks. And this was a big, this was a big time game here for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the reason why I say it is this, when Jacksonville can play ahead, that means that they can run the football. And when Jacksonville is running the football, that means that that's less opportunities for Blake Bortles to throw the football. We've seen in the past the issues that Blake Bortles has had and I think this was a, a solid move if you're the Tennessee Titans at Doug Marone to go out there and find yourself a running back like Leonard Fournette who can take, you know, a lot of the pressure off of Blake Bortles and give this Jacksonville at, uh, offense balance for once and that was a big thing. Now for the Ravens You know, you went out there, you played solid in your first two weeks, especially on the defensive side of the football, as you only surrendered 10 points, and then this happened today. So, you know, it's already a long flight back stateside after um, the London trip, and it just got a little bit longer with the way that they went out there and played today as they fell big time at the hands of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, you look ahead to week number four for both of these clubs, Baltimore will be at home to host the Pittsburgh Steelers, while Jacksonville will be on the road to take on the New York Jets. Now, in Buffalo, you had the 1-1 Bills taking on the 2-0 Denver Broncos, and this was a topsy-turvy game throughout. It was 3-0 in favor of Denver going into the second quarter when Bills quarterback Tyrod Taylor connected with my man, wide receiver Andre Holmes, from two yards out to cap off a 10-play, 74-yard drive, which gave Buffalo their first lead of the contest at 7-3. Now, Denver would immediately respond as veteran running back Jamal Charles scored on a 12-yard run to give Denver the 10-7 advantage. Now, it was 13 apiece at the half, 
and Denver was able to take the lead midway through the third quarter when Brandon McManus connected on his third field goal of the game to make it 16-13. to However, Buffalo would come right back, and Taylor would find tight end Charles Clay from six yards out to give Buffalo the 20-16 to lead. Turning point of this game was when Denver went forward on fourth down in their own territory, and they came up short. Buffalo would get the football back, and Stephen Hauschka would connect on a 53-yard field goal to extend Buffalo's lead today to 23-16, to and the Bills would go on to win this contest this afternoon by the score of 26-16. to Now you look inside of the numbers, and Broncos quarterback Trevor Simeon was 24-40 passing for 259 yards with no TDs and two picks while he was sacked three times by this Bills defense. Tyrod Taylor, his counterpart, was 20 of 26 passing for 213 yards with two TDs and no picks while he was sacked four times. Demarius Thomas did have six receptions for 98 yards today for the Broncos, while Emmanuel Sanders chipped in with seven receptions for 75 yards. But it was not enough as Buffalo, as Denver rather, fell short on the road to Buffalo by 10 points. And you look at the Broncos, we saw how effectively that Denver was able to run the football last week. That was not the case again today going up against this Bills defense. Then on top of that, two interceptions from Trevor Simeon isn't going to cut it because he's not the type of player that has the ability to throw two picks as a quarterback, and he can overcome that. that that's not his bag. Trevor Simeon is a good game manager, and when he's a guy out there taking risk with the football, it typically does not bode well for the Denver Broncos, which was the case today. But if you're the Bills, you have to be happy with this because your defense has been playing solid in your first three games. You limited the New York Jets in week one. You limited the Carolina Panthers last week, albeit you took the loss, and then you came back today and you shut down a Denver Broncos offense that was flying high after what they were able to do last week against the Dallas Cowboys. So if you're the Buffalo Bills, you got yourself your second victory of the season. If you're Sean McDermott, you're trying to get the message across to your team. And the best way to get that message across is by going out there and getting victories. Now you look ahead to week number three for both of these clubs. Buffalo will be on the road next Sunday to take on the Atlanta Falcons while the Denver Broncos will find themselves at home to take on the Oakland Raiders. Now, down in Charlotte, you had the winless New Orleans Saints taking on the undefeated Carolina Panthers. And Carolina came into this game heavily favored, as people like myself expected them to get back on a roll like they did two years ago when they went 15-1 and in the regular season. Now, it was 3 to nothing in favor of Carolina late in the first quarter when Saints quarterback Drew Brees connected with wide receiver Michael Thomas from five yards out to make it 7-3 to New Orleans. And this capped off a 13-play, 75-yard drive. Now, it was 7-6 to in favor of New Orleans midway through the second quarter 
when Breeze found Brandon Coleman from 11 yards out to make it 14-6, to as New Orleans would build on that lead and take a 17-6 to lead to the dressing room. Now, the Saints would get the opening kickoff to begin the second half, and they would march down the field on an eight-play, 75-yard drive, which is capped off from Breeze, connected with veteran wide receiver Tedgin Jr. from 40 yards out, to give New Orleans the commanding 24-6 to lead. Now, Carolina would attempt to get back into the contest and make it a game, and late in the third quarter, Panthers quarterback Cam Newton would score on a three-yard run, and this capped off a seven-play, 83-yard drive to make it 24-13. to However, Carolina would not get any closer today as New Orleans was able to salt this game away and go on to get the 34 to 13 victory and you look inside of the numbers and Drew Brees was 22 of 29 passing for 220 yards with three TDs and no picks more importantly the Saints offense had balance as they had 149 yards rushing with 56 of those coming from Mark Ingram on the flip side for Carolina Cam Newton was 17 of 26 passing for a buck 67 no TDs, three interceptions, and he was sacked four times today by this Saints defense. And, you know, if Carolina's playing from behind, they can't run the football effectively like they need to, and that really changes the game plan for this team. And you look at Carolina, they're 2-1, and one, but you look at Cam Newton back there in that pocket. This guy's been running for his life in the first three games of the season as you know teams are really trying to put pressure on him they're not they're not going to allow him to be as comfortable as he was back in that pocket two years ago when he was the NFL's MVP and Carolina's got to find a way to get this offense going they're two and one right now in spite of their offense so you you can if you're Carolina you can take a positive from that be like, okay, fine, you know, we got two victories, but at the same time, you got to try to find a way to get your offense going. Now, for New Orleans, we saw the desperation kick in today because this was a team that was 0-2, and they were embarrassed in both of their games. You go back to week number one on Monday night when they were throttled on the road by the Minnesota Vikings, and then they came back last Sunday afternoon at home to the New England Patriots, and the Patriots put it on them. And if you're Carolina – I mean, pardon me, if you're in New Orleans, rather, the last thing that you could really afford to do was take another defeat and start 0-3 if you were expected to try to be a playoff team here in 2017. Now, you look ahead to week number four for both of these clubs. New Orleans will be making the trek to London to take on the Miami Dolphins, while Carolina will be at home to face the New England, pardon me, they'll be on the road, rather, to face the New England Patriots. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, out in Carson, California, you had the 2-0 Kansas City Chiefs taking on the winless Los Angeles Chargers and the difference in these teams Kansas City jumps on teams early this season while the Chargers are playing catch up and that was once again the case today as Kansas City got out to the early lead when quarterback Alex Smith 
found Tyreek Hill on a 30-yard touchdown pass to give the Chiefs the early 7 to nothing advantage. Kansas City was able to add to that lead after a Phillip Rivers interception gave them great field position, and Smith found Albert Wilson from six yards out to give KC the 14 to nothing edge. Just before the first half ended, L.A. was able to put together a nine-play, 89-yard drive, which is capped off by an 11-yard run from Melvin Gordon to make it 14-7. to However, the Chargers' offense never got it in gear this afternoon versus Kansas City, and they would go on to lose this one today at home by the score of 24-10. to And you look inside of the numbers, Alex Smith was extremely efficient today as he was 16 of 21 passing for a buck 55 with two TDs, no uh, no picks, in spite of the fact that he was sacked five times today by this Los Angeles defense. But you credit to the running game of Kansas City. It started with Kareem Hunt, who had 172 yards and 17 carries, and as a team, Kansas City had 189 yards on the ground. Now, for the Chargers, it was the same old song. Phillip Rivers was 20 of 40 passing for 237 yards, no TDs, but most importantly, three very, and I mean very, costly interceptions this afternoon. This Chargers defense did keep them in the game, and you look at it due to the fact that they were able to sack Alex Smith five times with three of those coming from Melvin Ingram. But like I said before, it was the same old song as the Chargers simply found a way to lose this game while Kansas City went out there and found a way to win this contest. And, you know, for the Chargers, they're trying to develop a fan base out there in L.A. But when you start 0-3, that is not helping the situation. And this is going to be a very long season for the Chargers out there in Southern California. I said it going in that they were going to struggle. I think at this point, if they find a way to go 4-12, and I think that would be big for them. But this is not, and I repeat, not looking good for the Chargers in Los Angeles. But on the flip side, if you were Kansas City, it's business as usual. As Andy Reid has this club believing, and Alex Smith is playing some good football right now for the Chiefs. And when you put that combination together, things are looking very good in the heartland this season for KC. Now you look ahead to week number four for both of these clubs. And you're going to have the Chargers at home next Sunday afternoon to host the Philadelphia Eagles, while Kansas City will find themselves at home on Monday Night Football to take on the Washington Redskins. Now, moving right along at MetLife Stadium, it was a home opener for the New York Jets as they took on the 1-0 Miami Dolphins, and everybody expected the Jets to have the brakes beaten off by them by the Dolphins, but that was not the case as the Jets' defense really went out there and dictated the pace this afternoon, and they shut this Miami offense down. More importantly, they shut the Miami running game down as the Jets limited Miami to just 225 yards of total offense. Miami was only one of 12 on third down today, and the Jets' defense would be the difference in this one as they dominated the Dolphins and won by the score of 20 
0.26. Now you look inside of the numbers as Dolphins quarterback Jay Cutler was 26 of 44 passing for 220 yards with a TD and a pick, but he was sacked three times by this Jets defense. Josh McCown, the Jets quarterback, didn't throw it that much, and he didn't have to, as he was 18 of 23 passing for 249 yards with a TD and, most importantly, no interceptions. But the biggest thing was the Jets defense stepping up today and limiting this powerful Dolphins rushing attack to just 30 yards. More importantly, running back Jay Ajayi only had 16 yards on 11 carries. And I got to give credit to the Jets, and I got to give credit to their head coach, Todd Bowles, because a lot of people, you know, coming into the season, we talked about the Jets tanking, and, you know, the Jets were embarrassed in week one as they lost to the Buffalo Bills, and that embarrassment took, took another step last Sunday afternoon as they were humiliated on the road at the hands of the Oakland Raiders. And when you do that, you know, these guys are still professionals, any way you slice it. And, you know, they went out there and they answered the bell this afternoon. And they got themselves on the board and they got themselves a victory. And if you're Miami, Miami was flat. And I think this is a team that needs to get home and be, you know, and you know, comfortable surroundings because this was an organization that was unfortunately displaced by Hurricane Irma and the effect that it has had on the South Florida region as folks down there are still attempting to recover. And in the interim time, the Dolphins found themselves out in the Los Angeles area trying to get themselves, you know, prepared for a game. They were able to go out there and defeat the Chargers last week, but, you know, now flying back to the East Coast. And, you know, things are a little bit different. So I'll tell you like this, the Dolphins, they need to get home. They need to get themselves some home cooking and, you know, really, you know, go back out there and get back to what made them successful, which is running the football effectively. Now you look ahead to week number four for both of these clubs, and you're going to have the Jets back at home next Sunday afternoon to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, while Miami will be at home, be on the road at Wembley Stadium next Sunday morning to take on the New Orleans Saints. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, moving right along, it was an NFC battle this afternoon as you had the 1-0 Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the 1-1 Minnesota Vikings. And after the Bucks' offense looked so crisp at home last week in their victory over the Chicago Bears, you expect the Tampa Bay to be able to keep that momentum going, but that was not the case. Minnesota took the opening kickoff, and they marched down the field on a seven-play, 75-yard drive, which is capped off by a one-yard TD plunge from rookie running back Dalvin Cook to give them the 7 to nothing edge. It was 7-3 to in favor of Minnesota heading into the second quarter when early on, Backup quarterback Case Keenum found Jarris Wright from two yards out, and this capped off a 13-play, 76-yard drive, which extended Minnesota's lead to 14-3. 
just before the first half ended. The Vikings found themselves with a firm hold on this game as Keenan found wide receivers to find digs from 17 yards out as Minnesota was able to extend their lead to 21-3. to Now, the Vikings did not take their foot off of the throttle as early in the third quarter, Keenan would find digs again, this time from 59 yards out, as the Vikings were now up 28-3. Now, Tampa did attempt to rally in this one, as Jameis Winston would find tight end Cameron Brait from 15 yards out, midway through the third quarter, to make it 28-10. It was 31-10 in favor of Minnesota late in the third quarter, when Winston would find wide receiver Deshaun Jackson from 25 yards out to make it 31 to 17. However, Tampa Bay was unable to get any closer today as Minnesota was able to run the football effectively. And by doing that, they went on to get themselves the 34 to 17 victory. Now you look inside of the numbers in this contest and Jameis Winston really struggled. He was 28 of 40 passing for 328 yards. He did throw two TDs. However, he was picked off three times by this Vikings defense. Case Keenum was 25 of passing for 369 yards or two TDs, while Dalvin Cook had 97 yards on the ground. And this uh, Tampa Bay defense could not stop Stephon Diggs all afternoon as he had eight receptions for 173 yards with two TDs. Or if anybody had Stephon Diggs on their fantasy team this afternoon, they have to feel good. But if you're the Bucks, you really cannot feel good about this game because you know, you're on the road. I, 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 I get that. But you're going up against the Minnesota Vikings team that is dealing with their third-string quarterback in Case Keenum. And, you know, you, you wanted to try to go out there and make Minnesota one-dimensional. But Case Keenum looked like Fran Tarkenton back there for the Vikings. And then on top of that, you couldn't stop Minnesota's rushing attack. And when you had the ball, you couldn't run the football effectively. This Vikings defense is really, you know, putting a ton of pressure and being able to collapse the pocket on uh, James Winston this afternoon. And the Bucks never really got into a rhythm. And because of that, they went up there and they stunk it up. But if you're Minnesota, you know what? You found a way to go out there and win. They're dealing with quarterback issues right now, but they can run the football and they have a solid defense, and that is going to keep them in games. Remember, this was a Vikings team that began last season with a record of 5-0 and before things really, you know, came apart for them coming down the stretch. But, you know, it's the same old formula for this club under head coach Mike Zimmer. Run the football and play effective defense, and you will find a way to win some games. Now you look ahead to week number four for both of these clubs. Minnesota will be at home again, this time to host the Detroit Lions, while the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be at home next Sunday afternoon to face the New York Giants. And finally, it was a battle of winless teams this afternoon as you had the 0-2 Indianapolis Colts hosting the 0-2 Cleveland Browns. And this was a perfect opportunity for the Browns to find a way to win a game, especially being that the Colts did not have the services of quarterback Andrew Luck once again. However, it was Indianapolis who got the scoring going late in the first quarter when quarterback Jacoby Brissett called his own number and ran it in from five yards out. And this capped off a 10-play, 70-yard drive for the Colts as they went up 7 to nothing. Now, Cleveland would immediately respond as they put together a five-play, 75-yard drive when Duke Johnson Jr. punched it in from 19 yards out to knock the score at seven apiece. However, 
this Browns defense was not up for the challenge today as they could not stop this Colts offense. And Indianapolis got on a 21 to nothing run in the second quarter. First, it was Jacoby Brissett again, this time from seven yards out. Then Jacoby Brissett found wide receiver T.Y. Hilton on a 61-yard touchdown pass. Then it was veteran running back Frank Gore who scored from four yards out. And before you knew it, Indy had built themselves a 28-7 lead. Cleveland tried to make a game of it just before the end of the first half when rookie quarterback Deshaun Kaiser found rookie tight end David Njoku from one yard out to make it 28-14. However, mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake hurt the Browns once again. They were down 31-14. to They tried to come back and make a game of it late, but it was too little too late, and they simply ran out of time as Cleveland fell on the road as the hard luck loser again to the Indianapolis Colts by the score of 31 to 28 and you look inside of the numbers the learning progress or learning process rather continues for Deshaun Kaiser as he was 22 of 47 passing for 242 yards with two TDs but more importantly he was picked off three times today by this Indianapolis defense on the flip side Jacoby Brissett was 17 of 24 passing for 259 yards with a TD and no picks while he was sacked three times by this Browns defense. But T.Y. Hilton was a man of the day for this Colts offense as he had seven receptions for a buck 53 with that big touchdown grab. And Indianapolis found this, found a way to finally get a victory without Andrew Luck as they went on to win this afternoon by the score of 31-28. to 28. And if you were the Cleveland Browns, you, at some point you have to find a way to win these games. And, you know, all of this, well, you know, they're a young team, this, that, and the third. At some point, you got to go out there and you got to win. But the problem is, it's the culture around this organization. And it starts at the top as this team simply, you know, expects to lose. And if you're Indianapolis, you know, they took it on the chin in week one against the Rams. They came back and they fought valiantly last week at home against the Arizona Cardinals. And they actually had a 13 to nothing lead before they blew it. And this time around, they just found a team that's worse than them. I mean, that's that's the easiest way to say it. And because of that, the Colts were able to get to the winner's circle this afternoon. Now you look ahead to week number four for both of these clubs. Cleveland will be at home to host Cincinnati, while Indy will find themselves in week number four on the road on Sunday night to take on the Seattle Seahawks. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. So you look ahead to the games for next week in the NFL, and it begins this Thursday night when it's an old-time rivalry as you're going to have the Chicago Bears traveling to historic Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. Now, Green Bay is already a seven-and-a-half-point favorite against the Bears, but the Bears always play the Packers tough. This is always a very physical game. And for Chicago to pull off the upset, they got to go out there and get their running game effectively moving, just like they had it this afternoon against the Pittsburgh Steelers, because by doing that, you limit the amount of touches that Aaron Rodgers gets. Now, next Sunday morning, it's going to be the Saints and the Dolphins at Wembley Stadium in London as the NFL continues to force feed 
uh, Europe games down our throats. And you look at it, if you're New Orleans, you want to try to build off of the momentum that you got today against the Carolina Panthers. But if you are Miami, you have to get back to doing what you do best, and that is running the football. It's going to be the Buffalo Bills traveling to Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta to take on the Falcons. And the Falcons are eight-and-a-half-point favorites. But do not sleep on the Buffalo Bills because if you are Atlanta and you want to win this game at home, you had better pack a lunch against this team, which is led by head coach Sean McDermott. Somebody has to win next Sunday in the Battle of Ohio as you have the winless Cincinnati Bengals taking on the winless Cleveland Browns. And it's just going to come down to which team goes out of their way to find a way to lose this game. That is going to be the big-time detractor in this one. Looks like we got a caller coming in. I'm going to bring the caller in. Caller, welcome to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. Hey, it's John in Pittsburgh. How you doing? Hey, how you doing? I got a theory theory for you today on on the Steelers game. Uh, why they started off so slow? And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's really not a political question. Um, whether coming out for the national anthem, um, I just am talking about what I saw in the field. Um, mm-hmm. I would think normally. Before a game, uh, you're talking about strategy and getting prepped for the game, getting fired up to come out. Mm-hmm. I think them, the Steelers, not coming out, you know, not coming out. I think it was, you know, planned um, that they weren't going to come out for the national anthem. It took a lot of thought, probably a lot of meetings. Right. And right. when I saw them come out at the beginning of the Bears game, uh, I saw a Bears team that was 0-2 um, mm-hmm. fighting for their life not to go 0-3. I think the Steelers had other things on their mind. And I think it played out on the field, especially early. I mean, obviously the Steelers caught up and then the Bears won in overtime. But I'd like right. your opinion on that. Um, I just think the Steelers had their mind was elsewhere to start the game. And understandably so, um, you know, that's that's a major decision, you know, not coming out for the national anthem. And it has to right. had to affect them somewhat, uh, their preparation before the game. Well, I mean, it's like you know, it's, it's a very interesting point because I mean, naturally, you know, it, um, it, it's easy to say that that was the case, but I mean, you look at the situation with the Seattle Seahawks and the Tennessee Titans. Neither one of these teams, you know, came out. They remained in the locker rooms for the anthem. I mean, obviously, you know, they were facing each other, uh, so of course, one team had to win and one team had to lose. Uh, but I, I look at it with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're one of those teams, and more importantly, they're one of those organizations that, you know, they're going to do it as an organization. And I'm sure that there were guys in that locker room that didn't want to do it, but, you know, it's like it's one of those things, you know, majority rules, and you know what, we're going to do this as a team, and and, and that's what they did. And, you know, you know, in, do, in, in, in making that gesture, you, you know, you're looking, you know, obviously to build social awareness, but at the same time you want to be united as a club because – Football is the ultimate team sport, and you got to have everybody on the same page. And if, if you get your leaders on a team to say, you know what, this is the mode that we're going to go in, then everybody else, you know, is going to fall in line, whether, you know, people agree with it or they don't agree with it. I think the situation was this, and it's several things. Yeah, Pittsburgh was 2 0. And yeah, they were facing an 0 2 team in the Chicago Bears. But I always tell people, when it comes to, first of all, winning in the NFL is tough from week to week. But I think once you get to week three and beyond and you get those teams that have yet to win a game, 
it's so tough, even if you have a better record than that squad, to go out there and get it because they're they're hungry. And especially, I mean, the Bears really – nobody really expects the Bears to make the playoffs this year. But, you know, once you start 0-3, your season is basically done. And, you know, teams are going to be desperate, and they're going to go out there and fight, scrap, and claw and do whatever they can. We saw it today with the Green Bay – I mean, not the Green Bay Packers. I'm sorry, the Cincinnati Bengals. They were 0-2. And, you know, they fought, scrapped, and clawed until they they basically went out of their way to give that game away against the Packers. Uh, we saw it today with the New York Giants. The Giants were 0-2 taking on the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Giants fought, scrapped, and clawed until, you know, they went out of their way to give that game away to the Philadelphia Eagles today. And we saw it with the New Orleans Saints, too. The Saints were 0-2 taking on a 2-0 club in, in Carolina on the road. And, you know, New Orleans went out there and they were able to dictate the pace. So, you know, it's it's a lot of desperation on those clubs. I think the biggest thing for me with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I've said it before and I said it earlier tonight, is that, you know, Pittsburgh, they they play down to their opponents too much. And for me, that's the biggest difference between the Steelers and the Patriots. Because you have the Patriots. I mean, granted, they were a big-time favorite today against the Houston Texans, but they found a way to win. And, you know, New England's going to get on one of those rolls, and they're going to get it going because, you know, now Brady's starting to rely on guys more. Other guys, now that Edelman's not there, and they still got some things to figure out defensively. But the biggest thing for the Patriots is typically when they have a big spread against a team, or more importantly, to rephrase it, a team that they're supposed to beat, they go out there and take care of their business. And that's the difference between them going 13 and 3 and 14 and 2, and then Pittsburgh going 10 and 6 and 11 and 5, because, you know, just like last year, Pittsburgh should have been able to go out there and handle their business. They started off 4 and 1 last season, then they lost 4 straight, and then they finally, you know, rallied and were able to come back. And, you know, from there, uh, with Pittsburgh, it was a situation where, okay, you gave games away, and then you found yourself on a road, you know, in the playoffs. And, of course, they didn't have a first-round bye. They had to go through Kansas City in a tough game, and then they had to face New England on the road. It looks like, you know, the call is dropped. So if you're out there, please feel free to call back, and, you know, we can uh, continue discussing this. But uh, very quickly, you know, it's just a matter of Pittsburgh, you know, not going out there and taking care of their business. And I think that was the biggest key uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers this afternoon as they fell on the road to the Chicago Bears. So if you're Pittsburgh, hopefully, you know, you don't want to sound like a broken record because I've said it before and I'll say it again. They have to find a way to overcome this, and they have to find a way to take care of the games against the teams that they're supposed to take care of. And until they do that, they're going to continue to have these issues. But, you know, looking ahead at some of the games next week, you're going to have the Los Angeles Rams you know, traveling to take on the Dallas Cowboys. And, of course, Dallas plays tomorrow night on Monday Night Football when they host the – oh, when they, pardon me, when they're on the road against the Arizona Cardinals. And, of course, the Rams were able to escape with a victory uh, this past Thursday night against the San Francisco 49ers. You're going to have the Detroit Lions taking on the Minnesota Vikings. And for the Vikings, you know, they want to try to still run the football effectively while if you are uh, – Detroit, you got to try to find a way to put, you know, today's tough loss behind you. You're going to have the Carolina Panthers on the road to take on the New Orleans Saints. And Carolina, they have to get some semblance of order on offense. 
there's no way around it. New England has gotten into a rhythm offensively, but they still are working out the kinks defensively. But like I said before, I think New England is ready to get on one of those, you know, vintage roles there. You're going to have the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the New York Jets, and the Jags have, you know, they've gotten it going offensively as long as they're able to run the football. But if you are the Jets, you want to try to find a way to uh, build some momentum off of what you were able to do at home this afternoon against the Miami Dolphins. Next Sunday afternoon, the aforementioned Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be in Baltimore to take on the Ravens. And, you know, there is always no love lost between these two clubs. And it's early on, but it's desperation time because the winner of this game will be 3-1, and one, while the loser will be 2-2. Two and two. Now, it's going to be an AFC South showdown next Sunday afternoon as these are the two best teams and the AFC South, and I'm talking about the Tennessee Titans taking on the Houston Texans. And it all comes down to which team runs the football effectively. That will be the team that gets the victory in this contest. Next Sunday afternoon, you're going to have the San Francisco 49ers traveling to face the Arizona Cardinals. Of course, the Cardinals host the Dallas Cowboys tomorrow night. And for San Francisco, you were so close the other night against the Rams. Can you build off of that momentum and get your first victory of the season? The Eagles are going to be in Carson, California, to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. And for the Chargers, you have to find a way to stop giving these games away while Philly is really beginning to figure it out with their young quarterback in Carson Wentz. It's going to be the New York Giants against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next Sunday afternoon. And after the Giants blew their opportunity to get a victory today, Will they be able to get their first victory next Sunday? But they're going to be taking on a Tampa Bay team that themselves is looking to get on track. Now, you're going to have the Oakland Raiders traveling to take on the Denver Broncos. Of course, the Raiders are trailing right now on Sunday night football at the hands of the Washington Redskins. But but second place, rather, in the AFC West will be on the line in this one. And you don't want to fall too far back at the Kansas City Chiefs if you are either one of these clubs. Next Sunday night is going to be the Seattle Seahawks hosting the Indianapolis Colts. And Seattle has already opened up as a big-time favorite against Indy. But we've seen recently with Seattle, whenever they are a big-time favorite, they tend to play down to their opponent. And finally, on Monday Night Football, it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Washington Redskins. And this one is going to be another one of those contests where it comes down to whoever is running the football the effect, most effectively that will win. So right now, you look at the AFC East, Buffalo and New England are tied for first place in that division, while Pittsburgh and Baltimore are tied for first place in the AFC North with both Cincinnati and Cleveland checking in with a record of 0-3. Right now, Tennessee and Jacksonville are tied for first place in the AFC South, while Kansas City is sitting in first place in the AFC West. On the NFC side, it's Philadelphia who has the lead right now in the NFC East, and even if the Redskins are able to hold on tonight against the Raiders, Philly still is the first-place team in this division due to the fact that they beat Washington in week number one. You look at the NFC North, three teams are 2-1, and one, while Chicago was able to keep up today as they got their first victory of the season to get them to 1-2. and two. Atlanta is slitting in the clubhouse and the NFC South, while Carolina took that tough loss today, while New Orleans was able to get on the board. And right now it is the Los Angeles Rams who are sitting in first place in the 
NFC West. And finally, you know, we saw a lot of players making gestures today, and we talked about, like, several teams today, and the Seattle Seahawks, the Tennessee Titans, and the Pittsburgh Steelers who decided to remain in their locker rooms during the National Anthem. And, yes, the National Anthem and saluting the flag is very important to a lot of people in our country, but at the same time, so is social injustice, and it's unfortunate that the President of the United States used his platform to really, you know, try to go out and single out a few players in the National Football League that are going out there and trying to make a difference. And I think in times like this, divisiveness is not the way to go, as we all need to come together and we all need to work for peace and prosperity for everybody. This is the land of immigrants. This is also the land of opportunity. And I think we just need to simply work together and, more importantly, respect where people come from and respect people's beliefs. This is not a one-sided thing. We cannot be closed-minded. We have to work together. Yes, we have different backgrounds, but the bottom line is we all citizens. So folks, that is going to wrap it up. And as always, I want to take this time out to thank you for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge show here on blogtalkradio.com. I'll be back on the air next Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, recapping the action from week number four of the NFL season. You can check me out on 300poundsofsportsknowledge.com. I put up a podcast today about the New York Knicks and trading small forward Carmelo Anthony to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, if you're on Twitter, please feel free to follow me at 300 Pounds of Sports. And like I always say, if you follow me, it will be my pleasure to follow you right back. Also, there is a Facebook page at 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge. You can check it out, and you are more than welcome to like it as well. As always, much love to 150 pounds of sports knowledge. She knows who she is, and without her, none of this good stuff that you are hearing is possible. And as always, much love to my wonderful daughter, Penelope. It's a pleasure to watch you grow and grow and get brighter and wiser and see some of the things of this great world on a daily basis, and I look forward to seeing you continue that process. So once again, fine folks, my name is William Martin. Take care, have a wonderful night, and thanks once again for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show here on blogtalkradio.com. 